Welcome back. And we got Bonnie with us. You know, Bonnie, we can already see you. Hello. So that's a very cool thing. Yeah. Uh, so welcome back to Autism Live. We're uh, joined right now by Bonnie Yates from the law firm of Hirji and Chow. Bonnie is a special education attorney. She also uh, was an autism mom. Uh, I think what do you mean was? Well, <laughs> like, I don't even know, and I should ask you how you like to word that, um, because you have a child who is referred to as recovered. Do you still consider your, how do you word that now? Oh, my God. Are we having that discussion? No, we don't need to. I didn't mean to put that it's, out there. It's No, it's a really interesting discussion, and it is a really contemporary discussion for me, in a way, because... Yeah. Um, of pending grandchildren that I'm not supposed to be talking about. Ah. Um, <laughs> so. Let's not talk. I don't want to get in hot water with anyone. Uh, yeah, I know. It's so easy to do. It is easy to do. Um, but So maybe but, we should table but, that for another time. <laughs> but, but I want people to know that you have experience with this personally. That's what I was getting at. Well, I, I think that's, that's true. Um, I do... I do feel like my life changed forever once I learned in a personal way what the word autism meant. I didn't really know too much about it um, before that. So, um, Were you already see, a I... special education attorney when that no, happened? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. We have to go through most that people aren't. story. Most, most people end up doing it, you know, in response to, to the experience I mean, we could have a whole other program called So You Want to Become a Special Education Attorney. But today, right. I think what we're supposed to be doing is talking about, among other things, you had questions from people yes. about discipline and, and, and individualized transition plans and so on. So, um, Should we jump into that? What I'm supposed to be doing is doing the disclaimer, right? Yes. Okay. And so. talking about the fabulous Hirji and Chow. Okay, okay, the fabulous Hirji and Chow. Let's see if we can do that. Let's see if I just lost the disclaimer. No. Okay, Hirji and Chow is um, a six-attorney law firm that I'm lucky enough to belong to. Um, we're in Culver City. You can reach us by phone at 310-391-0330, and our website is lawyer4children.com. Um the disclaimer basically is that we're not giving legal advice, that the answers to the questions on the show are very general in nature and um, not intended to be specific advice for your specific problems. So in almost any circumstance, you're going to need to consult an attorney um, for more specific information. But we're, we're trying to get everybody conversant in well, how the law works and what some of the, the verbiage is since, you know, I think every parent that goes through this is like, what were those people talking about at the IEP? Which would be another really great, like, um, edgy Netflix show. Like, what were those people talking about at the IEP? You know, I mean, we could spend hours and hours, you know, unpacking euphemisms and things, but we're not going to do that today, even though it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> but can I tell you, Bonnie, that I, I live and breathe to have you see my show, The Autism Monologues, because I there is a comedic IEP in the middle of it. Uh -huh. where I, I love it, love it. Where I play all the different characters at the oh IEP. Oh, my God, so, that's so perfect. That, I, so we'll I, have I to want share to be on your time. IEP team, Shannon. There we go. Actually, <laughs> I, I want to I just say for Valentine's Day, for me, 
it's all about the moms. Like, mm-hmm. happy Valentine's Day to all my amazing women friends out there that make the world so lovely for the rest of us. So well, right it's actually been renamed Galentine's Day. And yes. so we should be giving rather than regretting what we might not be getting ah, on Valentine's that. Day. I love yeah. that. Makes great sense. Okay, so we've had the disclaimer. We have uh, heard about the fabulous Hirjian Chow, lawyer for children. Dot com. Um, love them. Love Bonnie. Uh, I'm going to jump into these questions now that we have had come in. You can feel that IEP season is heating up because of the questions oh, yeah. that we're getting. Oh, yeah. Right? So the first one oh, is, yeah. I'm in Northern California. My son has an IEP, and recently he hit another student who was taunting him. He is now suspended for 10 days. The child who was taunting my son doesn't have an IEP. I know this. Uh And she says, I know his mother, although we won't be friends after this. Her child has been, was given a verbal warning. This doesn't seem right, but I don't know where to start. Well, I didn't come at the question from how to get the other kid disciplined. I came at the question from what is she going to do to make sure her son isn't unfairly disciplined? So there are actually fairly um, robust disciplinary protections in the IDEA for children identified as having an IDEA disability. There are also protections under Section 504, the Rehabilitation Act, but they are not as protective, and I'm not really going to talk about 504 today. I'm just going to talk about manifestation determination, which is... um, what you end up with in a situation where... Wait, what were her facts again, Shannon? So uh, her son punched a student after he was taunting him, and now uh-huh. her son has been... He has an IEP. Uh, she yeah. did share that with us, and now he is suspended for 10 days for punching the other kid. Okay, so I kind of jumped the gun a little bit because the district can suspend for up to 10 days without having to do anything else, and then he can come back to school. The teacher can suspend for two, the principal can suspend for five, and I guess the superintendent can ex- can suspend for 10. You're allowed to have up to 20 days of suspension, um, not consecutive if you're an IEP student, 20 days in a school year, um, or no more than 10 consecutive days. So if you stay under the 20 and you don't exceed the 10 for any particular um, suspension, nothing's going to happen in terms of uh, disciplinary um, challenges or anything. But it obviously, if your son is getting in repeated, you know, altercations with people at school, whether it's his fault or not, and it might not be his fault and it might be totally unfair, but I thought it would be better if I told you what to do if you actually ended up in the position where you were confronting an expulsion, how the law works. Yes, that would help. Excuse me. So first of all, you've got to have grounds for the, um, for the suspension. And, you know, they, for the most part, they're kind of what you'd expect. I mean, they're looking at quasi-criminal and criminal behavior, or at least that's how they're going to construe it. So... If you cause or threaten injury to someone, if you use force or violence, except when it's in self-defense, if you possess a knife or other dangerous object, um, 
if you have um, either possession or use of a con or furnish a controlled substance or alcohol. Um, if you um, furnish something to somebody else claiming it's a controlled substance, but it's not. Um, if you commit the crime of robbery, extortion, vandalism, or theft. Um, if you, interesting, here's an interesting one. Use of tobacco is actually, um, can be a basis for getting expelled. Tobacco is, is no good. And apparently what I'm, I'm told by some of the students is that, you know, in a lot of public school, high school bathrooms, you can get everything. You know, if you, if you jewel your tobacco, you can get a jewel. If you want Adderall, you can get Adderall. It's a real problem. Anyway, uh, obscene, uh, any obscene act uh, or engaging habitual profanity or vulgarity, that's an interesting one because it has some First Amendment um, implications. Uh, possession of drug paraphernalia, disrupting or willfully defying school authorities, um, uh, bringing uh, a fake firearm to school, receiving stolen property, intimidating a witness in any kind of uh, educational hearing, bullying, uh, hazing, which is described as rituals that can cause great body, bodily injury or personal degradation or disgrace, and sexual harassment, which has a much longer definition than I'm getting into now. Um, hate crimes and terroristic threats and uh so those are those are the bad ones now they have to be on school grounds or during a school sponsored activity so you may end up in the in the context of an expulsion hearing um you probably say that a the behavior wasn't as characterized but b it wasn't if it were not on school grounds uh, or at school hours during school hours you'd have an argument that the school doesn't have jurisdiction um so that's always one way that you, you try to challenge it. Now, I mean, there are certain offenses that are zero tolerance, which means the superintendent has to expel on a first offense. And then there are certain ones that he has discretion. But before you expel anybody, you are supposed to show that other means of correction were considered and tried and were not um, useful in correcting the behavior, and you have to show that the student is a continuing danger. So if you can't show those things, it's probably going to be hard to keep the student out of school while the disciplinary proceedings, meaning the expulsion, are pending. So the, the zero tolerance offenses, I think I'm not going to go through them right now, except for just to tell you that they're obviously the more serious crimes. But there is a lot of zero tolerance at school these days. And it's in, in spite of the fact that I'm basically kind of a civil libertarian by nature, I really do understand the tension between trying to manage the threat and the, and the challenge of school violence as opposed to trying to give students their due process rights. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult balance. So anyway, if you suspend somebody after the first 10 days of suspension, you get into um, another period of suspension, you have to hold the manifestation determination because if you suspend somebody for, let's say, 12 days, that's considered a change in placement. 
So that gets you to this meeting at which the, the district is going to look at the question of whether or not uh, the child's behavior is a manifestation of his disability. And if it is, it's going to be very difficult to expel the child because they have, the, the person has an IP which entitles them to disciplinary protection. So the way it's supposed to work <clears throat> is if you're suspended for more than 10 days consecutively or more than 20 days in a school year, you're supposed to get a pre-suspension conference. And at that conference, you're supposed to get written notice of the offenses for which you're um, proposed to be expelled. Um, and the standard of that meeting that needs to be looked at is was the behavior caused by or had a direct and substantial relationship to the disability? And was the behavior a direct failure of the district to implement the IEP? So if you can show either of those things, and you can usually show number one, um, the student has to be returned to his existing placement without further punishment, and the district has to look at his behavior support plan and make appropriate changes to it. So um, it's, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to expel somebody who has an IEP. And none of this really addresses the question of why the listener's son got a seemingly um, more uh, strict correction than the other student. But I have found sometimes in these situations that we don't always have full knowledge of actually what, you know, what punishment the other student received. Um, but it's just a lot easier to punish students that don't have an IEP. And I will tell you, if you end up in an expulsion hearing before a panel in a public school district, the panel is likely to be composed of people like principals from other schools within the district, including like their continuation schools where they sometimes see the most difficult students and things like that. And they are going to be biased in favor of the school district. You are going to have to work very hard to present your client as a human being in this context who is worthy of more understanding and leniency. So can I ask a anyway, question, Bonnie? Because I've not yeah. been through this process. So let's say it's Tuesday afternoon and your kid punches uh, the other kid in, in the face and you get called and uh, you know, I, I is it that they, because my feeling has always been that they expel your student right there, and now you're telling me that there's they, some no, sort of a... He has an IEP. So you're telling me there should be something that happens before that, about how yeah. much, but they send him home in the in, in the interim? They, well, they're allowed to suspend without consequence for up to 10 days. After so suspend is day. different than expel. Right, and during that first 10-day period, they're not required to make sure that the student get the services listed in his IEP, but after the 10th day, they are. So, you know, you're going to be killing some time at home waiting for all this to play out. And this expulsion thing, this, this committee that you would come through, you'd probably have a few days to get yourself together for that, but at that, you can say was the thing that happened caused by the disability 
Um, was this a failure of them to implement the IEP? But we don't have that for the suspension. They can just suspend for no, 10 days. No, I haven't explained it well. If, you've, if you're suspended in excess of 10 days, you're going to have the manifestation determination meeting at school. Okay, okay. I got not, that. It's, 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 you only are in expulsion territory if you don't have an IEP or the manifestation determined meeting results are that the behavior was not a direct and, and substantial manifestation of the disability. But my question is, so you've got this 10-day suspension. You can't make any argument about this happened because of the behavior is something that is related to their, their IEP and their disability? That 10 but days you just have to sit out? You're, you're saying, do you have any ability to bring a complaint for a suspension that yes. does not trigger the requirement of having a manifestation determination, right? Well, I'm just saying, do you have any recourse? When they, when, when they give you a 10-day suspension, do you have not to take much. it? Not much. No, it's only when you get beyond the 10 days that you start having some okay. legal protection. All right. I see. I didn't so, know that. That's horrible. So the reason you didn't know that is because, fortunately, you haven't had to be in the position of right. having um, a child of yours yeah. face disciplinary charges. And what you find out is that it's very, it's quickly on the part of the school district that they start to think about the child as having a criminal propensity. And that's really dangerous for the okay. whole situation. I was the thinking reason, the IEP protected us from suspension, but what I'm hearing is it, prote it, it protects us from expulsion. from expulsion. Okay. You got it. Okay. Now, so a disciplinary suspension in excess of 10 days gets IDEA protection because it is viewed as a change of placement at that point without an IEP team meeting. Does that make sense? So if it goes, if this suspension for this mom who's asking the question goes over 10 days, there's a bunch of things she, she can do. But while we're in yes. the 10 days, she's just got to wait it out. That's right. Okay. Exactly. That was not what I thought you were going to say, Bonnie. But that's okay. good to know. That's good to know if, if that happens. In those 10 days, you got to be sitting at home, getting your ducks in order in case it goes a day over 10 days. Well, I don't think it's going to. I think they very deliberately did no more than 10 days because they don't want to deal with a manifestation determination meeting. The problem is whether they legally are required to do something or not, they got to keep an eye on this situation because it, it has the potential to become very problematic for them. So, I mean, just to kind of finish the analysis, um, there are certain situations, like if you carried or brought a, a, a weapon or possessed a weapon at school, used or sold drugs at school or caused great bodily injury, that they don't even have to go through the disciplinary proceedings they can move you off of the campus and into what's called an interim alternative educational setting, which, believe it or not, speaking of gobbledygook, is abbreviated I-A-E-S. So they can <laughs> remove you somewhere for up to 45 days while the disciplinary charges are pending if you do any of those things. But fortunately, in most cases, that's not going to be the kind of offense that, that our students will exactly. have committed. But be careful about the IAES because I've had them impose it in situations where it wasn't justified and the parent didn't know any better. Oof, okay. So what are your what are your um, 
options if the IEP team determines that the behavior was not a manifestation of his, of his or her disability? Well, the answer is you can file for due process. And because you are being excluded from school, it will take only 20 days from the filing to get you to hearing, which is quite fast. And within seven days, the district will have a resolution session meeting with you to try to, you know, work things out. Um, so that that is how that gets handled. I think the other thing I wanted to tell everybody is that there's a great provision in the law for um, if your student doesn't have an IEP, but he kind of should have, he was suspected or should have been known to have a disability, you can have the same disciplinary protections under IDEA as if you had an IEP. So that's pretty great. So then the question is, well, what would trigger that? One, any written concern on the part of the parent that the child should be referred for an assessment and special education services. If the parent requested an evaluation or if a teacher or other school personnel expressed concern. And there's a big um, kind of caveat here, like parents don't, don't put it into, I mean, do put it into writing. Don't just make oral um, comments to teachers at school. But what's pretty great is there's a specific provision in California law that says that if you go to district staff and you do tell them that there's a problem, district staff are supposed to help the parents put their concerns in writing. So generally, once you can trigger this uh, suspicion of having a disability protection, you will be treated as if you have a disability for purposes of doing the manifestation determination and the district is going to have to evaluate at that point and quickly figure out whether they overlook the fact that the person has a disability. So there's a whole kind of under uh, world of school discipline stuff that happens in public school that most of us are shielded from, but there are a lot of problems, including the fact that Schools now employ uh, school police who befriend kids and then later they use that or may use that relationship to solicit confessions from kids and things like that. There's a very zero tolerance attitude toward disciplinary infractions. Um, so this is a really important area for parents to understand. And we sent you a very well authored common sense not too long publication from disability rights about how this actually works so that's one of so my you goodies can, you today? can look at it in more you can look at it in more depth is that one of my goodies for today yeah it is okay so we're going to Goody. post the goodies yeah. on facebook um, number two is about individualized transition plans yeah which which is a long ish subject just like this one so I think it'd be better if we did that on another day. Okay. But I sent, I believe I sent you. You sent me two goodies. Yeah, I sent people the, the pamphlet on individualized transition plans so they could take a look in advance of our getting to it. But the short answer is I'm very frustrated about individualized transition plans because I don't think that the way they're treated in California is with adequate seriousness and I think next for next week, I'm going to send you a redacted transition plan so your audience can see what a bad job is being done 
okay. on these plans and how you could never really plug in a plan like this and actually make it mean something for somebody post-secondarily. It's really a shame. Okay. It's really something we should be ashamed of. Well, and so we I don't do know better. if we have more time for the shorter questions. We're going to do got... transition plans. We still have one chapter to finish up with the um, 504 plans versus IEPs for students with specific learning disability. we got a lot of stuff to do. So we, what should we, we do next? Well, we've got three minutes. Should we take on one of the shorter questions? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, my child was diagnosed with ASD six months ago. The school district offered us a pre-K program with speech OT and some ABA, although not one-to-one -one ABA. He has oh, been... I love this question. Yeah. I love this question. Because this is, we hear this all the time, Bonnie. He's been going there since February. Uh, well, that's just, a, that's like two minutes. Now I've started ABA and they want him for 40 hours uh, of one-on-one. -on -one. I told the school we might take him out of pre-K to go do the ABA. And they said he would lose his speech in OT and not just for this year, forever. My ABA provider has said that they can't do that. I don't know who to believe. We live in the state of Washington. So, um, but okay. we, we hear this all the time of, of, you know, the school district will offer speech OT and some ABA that they say, but they're very clear. It's not one-on-one -on -one ABA. And then parents are starting ABA and they're like, well, I don't know what to do. Um, but this, the question is specifically about if she takes him out of pre-K, and puts him in a 40-hour ABA program, does the school have the right to take away all of the services and say we're, and, and take them away forever? Well, there's a bunch of interesting stuff in that question. Okay. The first, the first thing is, where did this term group ABA ever come from? Because it's really outside the scope of my practice experience. Yeah. Hello? Schools you know, like, invented that. Just letting that. this one slip into the language without acknowledging how wrong it is yeah no schools okay. invented this as a way of putting a patch on things that parents worry about because parents will come yeah. and go well, he's supposed to have aba and school goes we do aba yay exactly you get a sticker now school right great okay here's here's the thing about this 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 is a really relevant conversation because we now have at least in california i know this is in washington but Let's just assume that the circumstances are similar. Since 2012, we've had a mandate that, that kids get ABA through their health insurance. They have one um, in Washington. Presumably full-time until their compulsory school age, which in California is six. I, from time to time, have a family come in with a young child, and they think that they need advice in order to prepare for their IEP their initial IEP meeting. So transition from regional center services to idea services. I will tell them the nicest thing you could do for your family and your child would be to take like a pre-IEP holiday where you don't have an IEP that takes, if you can have one, but it shouldn't take any of your time or energy. You should use insurance. You should do a full-time ABA program. You should make sure that you're working with an agency that delivers quality, and then you should, you know, hit your foot on the accelerator pedal and do this ABA intensively uh, for a couple of years so you can get a really good idea of your child's potential. So I am all for delaying idea services because I don't think they're going to help very much. I mean, 
We don't trust the district's ABA. We, we routinely hear that speech and language services and OT services are not very good. We know those people have heavy, heavy caseloads that oftentimes exceed state permissible numbers. So, you know, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble by being too anti-public school special ed here, but I'm, I'm pretty anti, you know, from what I've seen over the last 20 years. And I think a 40-hour-a-week home ABA program is going to do so much more for this kid than a public school special day class that will be three or six hours a day. And, and, and so you, they can consent to the portions of the IEP that they want under California law and receive the OT and speech services if they really feel that that's what they want to do. But my advice would be that they could get better OT and speech services through their insurance. So assuming they're not going to run out during the, the year, I don't know if I'd even involve myself with the school to that extent because it's just going to be a hassle and you're not going to get much for it, frankly, without a fight. So um, that, that last little line about you're going to lose everything forever, like, I don't even know where that came from. I don't even know how to begin to respond to that except for to wonder, is that what these people think? Or are they just being really... Um, Abusive? You know, uh, what was I going to say? Like, chutzpah-y. You know, right. I mean, it's like, uh, really? You're, you're going to tell parents that their, their idea-eligible child with autism will lose their right to services forever? Like, what are you hoping to get for this? It doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah. It, the, there, there's a very specific law that defends your child and, and just to be clear, they can't take away anything forever, um, and especially not when it's a pre-K situation. And we're way past time, Bonnie, now, but, I'm, I, but I loved hearing your advice because who better to give that advice than somebody who has seen it firsthand and has been working with school districts for a long time. So there you heard it from a very wise special education attorney and mama. So I but loved I, it. What I didn't say is that on Valentine's Day, I'm sort of like previewing some of my husband's crazy art, and I did it without explanation um, because it's a little hard to explain. But anyway... Is that um, your husband's piece there behind you? It's gorgeous. And look at all the stuff. Yeah, it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and I don't know if you can see above that. He's got some little puppets he built for a, a musical opera saga story about uh Bodie and old ghost town in California and whatnot anyway he's totally my valentine so I'm being like a millennial and giving him a complete shout out on valentine's day which since he's um not you know gonna be on social or any kind of media he's gonna miss but <laughs> kind of fun to do anyway um so I love that though and the, and that's gorgeous that collage behind you the more I look at it the more I love it okay well Details at 11. Okay. Bonnie, we adore you. We want to thank the law firm of Here, G, and Chow. The website is Lawyer4, and that's the number four, Lawyer4Children.com. And um, we appreciate you, Bonnie, and everything you do, and we'll meet back here next week. How's that? Sounds great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Happy, Valentine Happy Galentine's Day. Right back at you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
All right, we are running a little bit late, but that was uh, lovely to hear her say that. I thoroughly enjoyed that, but we don't want to uh, delay for our next guest. We're so thrilled. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with Dr. Mills, who is a chiropractor um, and deals specifically with pediatric chiropractic, and we're going to talk about how that meshes with autism. Stick with us.